Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad to see you here today. It's a rainy day outside, but uh, it's uh, dry in here, and uh, we are warm, and we are safe, and we are in a good place fellowshipping with God's people. And we welcome you here this morning. We welcome our guests, especially. You're very important to us, and uh, we're glad that you're here and hope that, God, that God's going to bless you in a very special way and that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship God uh, together. Let me remind everyone about our attendance sheets on each row. I'd like to ask if you would to take that and to fill it out so we can have a, have a record of your attendance with us this morning. We would appreciate that. And uh, a few announcements. Uh, looking around here, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? Yeah, thank you so much for our decorating team for uh, uh, doing your work to get us in the spirit. Thank you so much for that. It's Everything is beautiful, and it is certainly adding to our Advent uh, um, uh, emotions and feelings as we move forward. Let's see here. We have Joy Lunch that's coming up. On You have something you want to say about this? Pam wants to say something about Joy Lunch, so... That is a week from Tuesday. It's on the 11th, and we're in for a, a wonderful treat again this year. If you've been before and heard summer, our, our summer, do the Christmas program, you will want to come back. So, Summer, come talk to me a minute and tell us a little bit more about the program and who will be with you. It is my pleasure to bring with me this year Glenn Roberts. He is the executive director of the Evansville Philharmonic Orchestra. And uh, he's kind of the administrative mind behind the whole thing, but he's also an extraordinarily talented musician. So he will be playing the piano not only uh, with me, but um, a solo, a couple solo songs as well. Oh, thank you, Summer. Okay, that's a week from Tuesday at noon. Come and bring a friend. Thank you. That's going to be wonderful, wonderful. That's uh, December the 11th. Uh, also, let's, uh, let's get up to date on our Christian Community Outreach Challenge. Uh, our goal was 2,000 items uh, for community outreach. Look over at the table there. You came through, folks. I'll tell you what. We did really, really well. Now, at this point, we have 1,605 items. It's not quite the 2,000, is it? But you know what? An anonymous donor will complete the count to 2,000 items. I think that's 395 items. <laughs> but whoever that is, thank you so much for that. And we, will, uh, we are grateful for that. Uh, that helps a lot of people in our community who, who are in need. So thank you for your generosity for that. Uh, one other thing that we need to take care of uh, before we move on to our worship service is, is that today was set aside as a day for us to elect deacons. And, uh, and so I think now is the best time to do that uh, before we launch into our service. So if you're a member of our church and uh, you do not have a deacon ballot in your hand, could you raise your hand so we can make sure that you, um, that you get a deacon ballot? 
If you would, uh, if, if everyone has a ballot, go ahead and circle five names um, and no more than five. If you circle six names, then your ballot will be invalidated. Uh, so you need to circle five names, um, no more than five names um, for the deacon election. And as you do that, please remember that we are looking for people who who will be good candidates for deacons. And we, we recognize that people are gifted in different areas, and uh, people are gifted in this, in this area of service, and it is a, an area of service. It is, not, uh, it is not a position of honor. It is not a position of power or anything like this. It is a position of service. The word deacon means servant. And a deacon is someone who should have a servant heart, one who serves the community of the church and serves the families of the church. So that's the person that you're looking for as you, uh, as you consider the candidates for deacon. So please go ahead and circle five names and five only, and uh, we'll give you a few moments to do that, and then we'll take up the ballots. When you're done, if you could, just pass them to the inside aisle.
Okay. Do we have them all in now or anybody else have any out that we need to take up? Okay. Thank you very much for that. Uh, One other announcement that I I almost overlooked is that tomorrow uh, evening our women's mission group will be uh, meeting. It is a potluck uh, dinner at Julie Dodson's house at six o'clock. So uh, we invite all the women of our church to uh, to join for that. um, And it will be a a great time, I'm sure. So hope you can be there tomorrow evening at six o'clock. Let's stand and greet each other in the name of the Lord. Let's share the, the blessings of Christmas with one another. I hate to interrupt all this fellowship. I believe, I believe everyone has the joy of Christmas. Uh, but as you take your seat, let me uh, invite our children to come forward for our children's moment. Uh, Miss Meredith is down here to, uh, to have our children's moment. So children, come on down. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Well, this morning we're going to talk about God's promise to us. Have you guys ever made a promise to somebody? Yeah? Or did your sister? Did you keep your promise? Yeah? Sometimes? Yeah? Well, maybe you made a promise to a friend that you would go over and play basketball or something after school one day? Anything like that? But your parents wouldn't let you because you had too much homework. Oh, no, you couldn't keep your promise. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to keep our promises. But do you know who, can, who you can always rely on to keep, your promise, to keep promises? God, you're right. You guys are so smart. 
Well, God is, God is faithful and will always keep his promises. He promised and is loving towards everything he made. One of the most significant promises he made is the promise of eternal life for those who believe in him. It comes from faith in Jesus Christ. So God promises he will always love you. So as a child of God, we need to share God's promises. One thing that reminds me of promises God, God keeps is, you guys know what this is? Rainbow. A rainbow. That's right. So God said, I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So when you guys see a rainbow, which we may see one later, all that rain, hopefully the sun will come out. When you see a rainbow, remember, that's a reminder of God's promises that he'll keep to you. And I've got something for you to put on your Christmas tree to help you remember God's promises. No? Looky here. Aren't these cool? Candy cane. Yeah. Candy cane. They are candy cane wood. Yeah. Here you go. You're welcome. You're welcome. You like those? Here you go. You're welcome.
Please join me in our responsive reading for today, uh, printed in your worship folder and on the screen. Our Lord, we enter this season of Advent and our hearts echo the church's plea. Come, Lord Jesus. Come into this troubled and hurting world and be our hope. Come, Lord Jesus. Come into this time of celebration and be our joy. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and be Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Good morning. We draw brought straws as he was going to do the speaking. I guess you see who lost. <laughs> Tim asked us to light the Advent candle today and say what the hope of Christmas means to us. The definition of hope is the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. I see hope as what we make out of our hardships. We all have hardships, some which pale in comparison to others, but they are still our hardships. As you all know, we had a fire, or what we call a bump in the road, October the 8th. But thanks to all of our friends and family and your prayers and support, we have hope, just as the birth of Jesus Christ gives us hope. Amy, Samantha, and I would like to thank each and every one of you for the love, support, and prayers that you all gave us. We light the candle of hope because we believe in the hope of Christmas. Thank you.
seated. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Jeremiah 33:14 through 16. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Thank you for all the goodness you showed us every day. I thank you for sustaining us in, in our every need that we have. We as a church and individually, we t- totally rely on you and you provide every provision. You're able to do more than we can even imagine, Lord. All we have to do is trust you. 
Lord, you said to trust you with all of our heart and to lean not on our own understanding. Where there's so much that we don't understand in our lives and in the workings of the church. That just give us courage to face every day by claiming the grace and the forgiveness and your unconditional love. In Jesus' name, amen.
I'm going to do something a little, a little different right now. I'm going to let you begin my sermon for me today. Uh, so this is this is for you, okay? This is on, on you, I, Larry. I, I like the definition that you had of hope a little while ago. The feeling that what we want can be had. Is that a, a dictionary definition? That's a good definition of hope, the feeling of what we want, that what we want can be had. So what I want to ask for you as we begin our Advent season today, especially during the week where we emphasize hope, I want to ask some of you if you have had an experience to share with us an experience that you have had in which you were being hopeful you were hoping for something. Now, some of our kids might hope for a big Christmas. <laughs> uh, some of our adults may hope for a job or something else, a new house or a relationship. So I'm putting things out there, and I want to ask you to share some things that you have been hopeful for at some time in your life. Can somebody share with us? Anybody? I'm hopeful at this current time that these troubling economic times will pass us by and we'll have greener days ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Oh. Yesterday was our first Christmas pageant practice on a Saturday, and I was very hopeful that we would have a good turnout, and we had over 10 uh, youth and children show up, so I was really glad about that. I'm very hopeful that every three months when I go back to the oncologist, he says, a good report. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? I feel like a game show host. <laughs> when you mentioned the two things this week, or a few minutes ago, Dr. Tim, about um, hope, just this week, uh, I was very hopeful for a successful surgery for mom, which turned out great. Yes, I am hopeful for a new occupation in 2013, but probably one of the biggest hopeless times was when I was homeless in Florida about 10 years ago. And God, I knew, was there. Sometimes it's very, very difficult in times like that when you feel there is no hope to know that he's there. But he brought me back to Henderson, met Nibby, and this wonderful family. So I'm very hopeful and grateful for this. Amen. Anybody else? Pam. Excuse me. I'm just going to go right through here. Mine was a little more uh, recent. Several of you have heard this story. I told it in Sunday school. But in, when I had mother and the dog and all everything in my car on Tuesday before Thanksgiving to head to Kays in Georgia, I started having car trouble right below Hopkinsville. Uh, I, I could have gone in a puddle. I didn't know exactly. But I pushed my OnStar button, and this voice, Christy, comes on and says, may I help you? And I said, yes, I'm out here on uh, 24. She knew where I was, they said, by then. In Five, seven minutes, she had me at a Buick dealership in Clarksville, Tennessee. And in an hour and a half, my car was fixed. 
and I got mom, the dog, back in the car and out to Georgia. It was hopeful there for about 10 minutes, and it worked. <laughs> Good. And your hope was fulfilled. Yes. Good. Debbie. We ought to clump these together here. <laughs> That's all right. I was just going to say that um, sometimes we look at the youth, and, and you've all heard it said, oh, these kids today, I'm scared for our future generation. But in the current job that I'm in, I work with a lot of little kids, preschool kids. And what makes me hopeful for the world, for the future of the world and the human race, is that it's so apparent that, they, that their hearts are pure and sweet. And, and when we look at those youths, we just need to remember that despite what they look like, they still are those little kids just in different clothing and that their hearts can be pure if we just believe in them and have hope for them. Thank you, Debbie. Anybody else? Ah. Jenny? Well, right now I have hope that one night I can sleep all night long without waking up. (laughs) That would be nice. So I'm holding on to that. (laughs) But um, over the last three years, I definitely had hope that that, um, God would heal my mom and that she wouldn't suffer. And he definitely answered that. So I've seen having hope and trusting in God, just like my dad just prayed, and understanding that he works in ways that we don't understand, but we always can have hope and trust in him. Thank you, Jenny. Anybody else? I'm hopeful that uh, the leaders that we've elected our Congress will learn to compromise and cross that aisle and work together for the good of the people. Okay. Anybody else? Sally. Well, having lost several family members, sisters and siblings, brothers and sisters, my hope was that God would take them and not let them suffer. And most of them just went to sleep. And that was... A big hope I had, and it was answered. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else? Ah, Poncho. I'm hoping everybody have a nice Christmas. And uh, Beach Choir is beautiful. And uh, some of you do a good job. And... Uh, <laughs> I got I got so much hope of the little kids when I taught basketball upwards. I love them all, and I hope I do it again next year. Thank you, Pancho. Anyone else? Okay. Oh, got one back here. A choir member. Uh, six years ago, Nora and I was just hoping that Rachel would wake up. And uh, then we were hoping that she would get well. And we thank God and we thank this church family for all the prayers and, and the miracles in our life. Amen. Thank you. As you have seen and heard, um, hope is an important part of our lives. And we've all experienced hope 
in some form or another. Um, And sometimes our hope has been fulfilled and sometimes it hasn't been. Sometimes our hope um, has been fulfilled after a long while of hoping. But that's the nature of hope, that we don't give up on our hope. And that's where hope becomes faith. And so let's see what God has to say to us today on this first Sunday of Advent about the hope of Christmas. Before the advent of television, baseball broadcasts depended on colorful announcers to captivate the listening audience. And one of the best of those announcers was a man named Rosie Rosewell. Uh, Rosewell was uh, the radio voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And the star slugger for the Pirates at that time was a guy named Ralph Kiner. And Rosewell would paint this word picture to get his audience to imagine a little old lady with an apartment with a window facing uh, Forbes Field right across the street from the stadium. And, and whenever Kiner would come up to bat and connect with a potential home run, Rosewell would yell, open the window, Aunt Minnie, here it comes. And then as the ball left the park, he would smash a light bulb near the microphone. <laughs> Now, Rosie knew how to create excitement. And you know something? I think that we ought to enter into this Advent season with that same kind of excitement in our lives. Sometimes I think that the shopping malls do a better job of promoting this time of year than, than, than we do as, a church, as churches. But, but that's a pattern I'd like to break. And on, on this first Sunday of Advent, I want to shout with great enthusiasm, Open the window, Aunt Manny. Here it comes. Children understand that kind of excitement. You just ask some of them. They're already making their list for Christmas, for the things they want Santa Claus to bring them. Uh, There's a story uh, Pastor John Jewell tells about a young boy who expressed his excitement at at one of their Christmas Eve services a few years ago. Immediately after the the benediction, this this four-year-old boy broke out at the top of his lungs and said, Hooray! Hooray! Jesus is born! Now let's get going! (laughs) It seems that the boy's parents had told him that he couldn't open their presents until after church, his presents until after church was over, and and, and waiting was hard for him. He, He couldn't hardly wait to open these presents, and sitting through that worship service, you know, while the prospect of presents were at home. And, and so just as soon as the service was over, he was thrilled that he could get on to those things that mattered the most to him. Now, of course, that young boy didn't really understand the true meaning of Christmas. But he certainly caught its excitement. Well, the prophet Jeremiah also understood that kind of excitement. He writes in our Old Testament lesson, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the people of Israel and to Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David's line and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in, in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called The Lord is our righteousness. Now, Jeremiah was known by many as the weeping prophet. Because, you see, 
He was often the purveyor of bad news. And he gave this bad news because he was a prophet of God and the people of Israel were living outside of God's favor. He knew the, the, the people's sins and he knew of God's justice and he knew that God would not protect the people of Israel from the consequences of their bad choices forever. Israel had been unfaithful to the covenant of God and, and had forsaken God by building altars to other gods. And some of them even offered up their own children as sacrifices to these other gods. And so Jeremiah prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. He prophesied that Israel would face a terrible famine and be plundered and taken captive and and that the people of Israel will be taken away and lived in exile in a foreign land. And as you can imagine, that was not a very popular message to preach. People don't like to hear that kind of thing. But Jeremiah spoke the truth, no matter how distasteful it might have been. And everything he said came true. However, just when everything looked totally hopeless, God gave Jeremiah a new message to preach. Jeremiah finally got to tell his people some good news. He'd been loading them down with all of this bad news. And he finally gets to tell them something good. All is not lost. The exiles will come home. God is faithful to God's promises. God will make a righteous branch spring up from David's line. And this is exciting news for the people. Open the door, Aunt Minnie. The children of Israel are coming home. (laughs) For Christians, of course, this is a prophecy about Jesus. He who will do what is just and right in the land and and whose life and death will bring salvation to both Israel and and Judah. This is the the very heart of the gospel message, and it's a message of hope for all of us. Because Because folks, just like Meredith was saying a little while ago, God always fulfills God's promises. And that's the first thing we need to see today. God always fulfills God's promises Jeremiah writes, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. Jewish psychiatrist Viktor Frankl was arrested by the Nazis during World War II. He was stripped of everything, his property, his family, his possessions. He had spent years researching and writing a book, and and when he arrived at Uh, Auschwitz, his manuscript, which he was hiding in the lining of his coat, was taken from him. And this was devastating for him. He had worked so hard. He had poured his life and his, his, his sweat into this project. Now it's totally gone. And he found himself confronted with the question of whether his life was ultimately void of any meaning. He had an overwhelming sense of hopelessness about him. 
And he was still wrestling with that question a few days later when the Nazis forced the new prisoners to to give up their street clothes and they were reissued prison garb. And in place of his own clothes, Frank Frankel uh, inherited the worn out rags of an inmate who had already been sent to the gas chamber. And instead of the many pages of his manuscript, which were now lost, he found in the pocket of his newly acquired coat a single piece of paper torn from a Hebrew prayer book. Only one page of that prayer book remained. And yet on that one page were the words that turned Viktor Frankl's life around. It was the most holy prayer of the Jewish faith. The Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Was it a coincidence that that page would find its way into Frankel's seeking hands? He didn't think so. He interpreted this as a sign of God's faithfulness. It was a word of hope that kept him strong in the face of unspeakable mental and physical anguish. And you know, I think that's the best way to interpret any experience. God is faithful. You can trust God's promises. No matter how dark the situation may seem, you can trust God's promises. Martin Luther King Jr. trusted God's promises. He too was a prophet of God, speaking words of of judgment to people who were blind to uh, to see the sin of racism. And as a young pastor, King's intent was was not to be a civil rights activist. He was called to be a pastor. But after Rosa Parks captured national attention by refusing to to move to the back of the bus, the civil rights movement in, uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, exploded. And King was thrust to the forefront of leadership almost without his consent. And immediately afterwards, he was thrown into jail for driving five miles over the speed limit. And he began receiving threatening phone calls. And late one night, King sat in his kitchen while his wife and his young daughter were asleep in the next room. And he found himself wrestling with God. He was unsettled. He was scared. He was angry. He felt distant from God. And, and then he found himself praying, Lord, I think that what I'm doing is right, but I'm weak. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And and at that moment, King heard the voice of God speaking to him, saying, Martin, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And I will be with you even until the end of the world. This was a crystallizing moment for Martin Luther King, Jr., And even three days later, when a bomb exploded on his front porch, Martin never forgot the power of those words. The reassurance of that voice that echoed again and again and again in his soul through all the dark days of his crusade. 
God had promised never to leave him. And God never did. My friends, that has been the anchor of every soul committed to the work of God throughout history. No matter how dark the night may be, no matter how harsh the critics may be, no matter how violent the enemy may be, God will never forsake us. And that's the first thing that Jeremiah reminds us about today. God fulfills God's promises. But Jeremiah said something else. You see, he also prophesied the coming of the Messiah. He wrote, a righteous branch will spring up from David's line and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, I'm sure that Jeremiah believed in a Messiah who would unite a divided kingdom. Restore it to its former glory. But he could not foresee that God had a much bigger plan in mind. He could not foresee the manger in Bethlehem or the coming of of one who would rise above nationalistic dreams and be a savior, not only of Judah, but of the whole world. Jeremiah knew that God was faithful. He knew that God had promised that a savior would come, but he could not know that this savior would come not as a conqueror, but as one who would allow himself to be crucified on a cross. He could not know that the Messiah would be a humble carpenter from Nazareth of all places. And not a king. One who would one day be held in reverence by people of every nation on earth. This simple carpenter. He knew that God would send a Messiah, but he didn't know that this Messiah would be the kind of Messiah that Jesus turned out to be. Reverend Bill Hayes tells about something that happened several years ago when the community of Spencer, South Dakota was devastated by a tornado. Six people died in that tornado. And among the buildings that were devastated was St. Matthew's Lutheran Church. The day after the tornado, the pastor of St. Matthew's was walking through the devastation in the community. And she says that it was an unbelievable sight. A grain elevator twisted and fallen. A water tower toppled. Vehicles and other heavy equipment strewn all over the place like toys. Whole buildings gone from their foundations. And when she got near to her church, someone called out, Look! There He is! There's Jesus! And sure enough, says the pastor, there was the statue of Jesus that had stood at the altar of the church. There it was, a beacon to what had been the site of a hundred-year-old congregation. The pastor later wrote that it was so uplifting to, and so fitting to look up from the, the chaos around her and see Jesus. 
His arms outstretched, welcoming, loving His people. She wondered how the statue had survived the devastation. And and later she learned that there were two young girls that were helping to clean up for a family member nearby. And they had taken the time to come over to the the church that had had been blown away and, and devastated. And they had found the statue in the rubble. And they decided that everybody in Spencer needed to see that Jesus was still with them. And so they stood him up for all to see. You know, those young girls were right. Whether times are, are good or bad, in times when things seem hopeful, and in times when things seem utterly hopeless, people need to see Jesus. He's our hope. He's the Savior of the world. You may have heard me mention before the the name Anne Lamott. Anne is a Christian author, uh, somewhat unconventional in her approach to the faith and and really a a wonderful person. I recommend you reading some of her, her work. But what you may not know about Anne is that she has a tattoo on her ankle. And the tattoo reads like this. Trust the captain, trust the crew. Trust the captain, trust the crew. She points out that, the, that those words come from the title of an episode of the West Wing TV series from a, a number of years ago. And the episode was about a U.S. submarine that was in trouble in North Korean waters. And so the president was, he was facing a dilemma here. If he did nothing, their situation may get worse and, and they may lose the lives of the, of the crew members on the sub. And, but on the other hand, if anybody were to radio the sub to gather more information, the boat and, it, and its crew would be discovered by the North Koreans and not only putting their lives at risk, but also provoking a, an international incident and maybe even sparking a war. And so wrestling with this dilemma, the president finally decided that the best thing that he could do was to let the captain and the crew handle the crisis on their own. And the president, president chose to trust the captain and trust the crew. Now, Anne latched on to that phrase because she felt that as a Christian, she knew that this is a marvelous statement about keeping faith in God and also in God's community. It resonated with her so well that she had it tattooed on her ankle. Trust the captain. Trust the crew. Some of you have learned that same lesson. We can always trust the captain. God. God always keeps God's promises. And among the promises that God keeps is the promise that God will never forsake us. But you know something? We can also trust the crew. That's us. We're the crew. We are a family. We are the family of Christ. And and we begin this Advent season as one body. 
His body. And I don't know about you, but that is very reassuring to me. To know that we can trust the captain. And we can trust the crew. It's like what I say every time a person joins the church. We're all in it together. We are family. And we take care of each other. Trust the captain. Trust the crew. And that brings us to the final thing to be said. And here it is. We need to spread the excitement. Folks, this is an exciting time of the year, isn't it? Just ask any kid. <laughs> it's an exciting time of the year. It's very busy, I know. And it's, but it's also very exciting. There's a wonderful line in the operetta, Amal and the Night Visitors, in which Amal, hearing the description of the Christ child, cries for joy and says, for such a king I've been waiting all my life. And you know something? You and I have been waiting all of our lives for such a king as well. And as we prepare for his birth, we do so with great excitement. He's coming. It's coming. And I hope you'll use this Advent season as an opportunity to share your excitement with others. Invite a friend to come worship with you. You know, the most powerful form of advertising of any church that any church can have is is word of mouth. Because, folks, when people are excited about their faith, they spread that excitement. They spread it to others. So here's a question. Are you excited? Does this season just kind of set you tingling and, and you're, you're ready for Christmas, for the coming of Christ? Are you excited about that? Do you have that same excitement as that little boy that shouted, Hooray, hooray, Jesus is born. Let's get going. Maybe not quite that much. But at least you may be just as determined to spread the good news of Christ as those two young girls were who lifted Christ up after the storm so that everyone could see their Savior and know that there is hope. My friends, God always keeps God's promises. God will never forsake us. And God has sent God's Son into into the world, Jesus, to be the Savior of the world. And that's exciting news. So let's spread it. Watch out, Aunt Minnie, Christmas is coming. Are you excited as I am? I hope so. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. O come, O come, Emmanuel. A great Advent hymn, number 76. And this is also an, an invitation to you, an opportunity for you to, to make a commitment to Christ, to step forward and to say, Sometimes my life is not, uh, not 
doesn't seem to be very hopeful, but I'm going to put my hands in Christ because I believe that God really will fulfill God's promises. And I think he has something to say about that. God is faithful. And I hope you believe that. Enough to put your, hand, your life in, in God's hands. And to trust the Savior that He sent. To accept that Savior. And to take hope in His faithfulness to always be with us. And to spread the excitement to others around you. If God's dealing in your heart in any way, and we invite you to come as we sing together, O come and come, Emmanuel, would you come? Righteous Lord, how we love you for being everything that you are. Lord, let us become leaves on that righteous branch of the vine, leaves on a fruitful fig tree. Thank you for tomorrow, for all of its possibilities, for all of its signs and wonders pointing your, to your presence in our world. Lord, you have taught us to walk in your way, and we pray that we might walk faithfully with you as, as we watch, as we pray for your coming, as we hope without fear and apprehension, but with hope and with, with rejoicing. You are very near to us, O oh God, and we long to see your face 
And so we leave here today with with this prayer on our hearts and on our lips. Come, O Emmanuel, come. Amen. Thank you.